Well, good morning. How many of you were at the 1030 service last week? Yeah, I am sorry about that. Never had that happen 13 years. And so we're going to play a little catch-up because we are walking through the book of James every week. And we're attempting to do it in 30 minutes. It's a 30-minute look at James every Sunday morning, correct? I apologize. I went home. I medicated up. I slept that off. Have that happen about twice a year. And um, for 13 years now, I have never had it happen on a Sunday morning. So thank you for being understanding with that. But the idea of James is in these two words. Faith acts. And it's like this. James, this pastor who uh, is an influential pastor in Jerusalem, has had a lot of his people who, because of persecution and pressure, have ended up fleeing Jerusalem and living in other parts of the world that, that aren't as hot, so to speak, as hotbed for persecution as Jerusalem. And just by, by, uh, by virtue of trying to survive, so to speak, they've left And James, with a pastor's heart, continues to think about and pray about these people and wanting to, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to continue to reveal to them what it is God wants them to know. And what he's trying to share with them and with us is in these simple two words, faith acts. Faith is real. It's living. It's breathing. And if you have faith, you cannot help but live it out. If there is no living out what you say, there is no real faith. Correct? Amen? That's what he's trying to communicate. It's it's this idea I shared in first service that uh, I've experienced this in my life early on when I was, uh, you remember my life changed drastically when I was 17. I had no desire for God, was running my own way, starting my own life, right on the verge of making all these decisions. I have this, this, um, this time when God really just opens my eyes to, okay, go that way, but you are going to be lost. And this is your life, and this is what I've done for you, and this is what I created for you to experience and be. And I had this turn, and then I'm called to ministry, and I'm really feeling my way along. And I went through this dichotomy, though, for a while of wanting and believing, and yet my life did not match at all who I was presenting myself, who I was wanting to be. I'll tell you, it's the most miserable existence in the world. To talk the talk, but to not walk the walk. There is no confidence in that. There is no authority in that. You are miserable living through that. This is who I want to be. This is who I should be. This is who I present myself as. This is where I know I need to go. And yet in reality, I'm stuck. I'm not there. I keep making decisions that circumvent that. And I'm just in this, and I'm I'm talking a talk, but I'm not walking a walk. And James is saying, listen, God created us to have this faith in him that becomes transforming in our lives. That the whole goal of faith is to then act in our life and cause us to become this living, breathing child of God who lives and acts out the truth of the gospel. Faith acts. And so he begins to write. 
He gets right to the point, right? Chapter 1, none of this Paul stuff where, hey, I remember my memories with you, and I want to say hi to you and you, and this is who I am. James just jumps right in. Hey, James, remember me, Pastor James? Guys, I know what you're dealing with right up front. You are in tremendous hardship and trial. And he starts with these words, count it all joy, right? Just jumps right in. And he's saying, listen, the first thing I want to remind you, that faith that acts, that lives, that breathes, that's real, that can be proved out, and you know it is real in your life, is in the middle of hardship, we recognize that God gives us a mindset and ability through His grace and through His Holy Spirit to take hardship and trial and to turn them on their head and they become actually catalysts for us to grow and develop and triumph. Normally, when hardship and trial comes, we cave, we despair, we mail it in, we bail out, we become bitter. We, right? All these things. We've all experienced that. We know what that is. We become jaded. We become cynical. We live with a certain amount of numbness, so to speak. And we kind of, he says, no. The living, breathing faith of a Jesus follower actually walks through the hardship, the trials of life, and it becomes a way for them to develop, to grow, and to be strengthened. And they take that hardship and they turn it on their head through the power of Jesus Christ. It's kind of the idea I shared with you last week with the, the whole exercise thing, right? You know, there is a sense where the pain of lifting weight that is, that's, that's beyond what you're comfortable with. It's, it burns your muscles. Or running and your lungs and your body is not equipped to do that, but you keep pushing yourself because you know that in this pain, something is happening that is going to develop and strengthen you, your body, right? God is saying the trials of life, the hardships of life, I am using, and although you're feeling the burn, so to speak, that was not a Bernie Sanders endorsement either. Some of you will catch that later when you leave. You're about ready to hear a lot of that over the next year, feel the burn, right? Um, uh, even though all that's happening, you know that there is a greater thing going to take place. Your body is going to be conditioned. It's going to be developed. It's going to be strengthened. And God uses, Peter talks about this, Paul talks about this, that the process of trials, it's like gold going through fire. It makes it more valuable, more pure more refined, and that the heat actually benefits the gold, and the heat and trials of a Christian's life actually benefit them. Only God can do that, and only a Christian who has a, the right mindset, a faith mindset, can experience that. If not, you'll cave. You'll turn to to substances, you'll, you'll, you'll seek comfort in something else other than Christ. You'll, you'll medicate yourself in a certain way to deal with the disappointments of life because you don't see it from a faith perspective, a living, real, active faith in your life. And so he talked about that. In fact, he says, listen, I'll even, oops, I forgot, I got my timer up here, okay? So how many minutes should I take off? That is tough. 
All right, I'm going to give myself a generous three minutes so far. So we're at 26. So you can just relax, all right? Just listen intently because all you got is 26 more minutes. Give or take a few seconds. So he says, listen, I'll even give you wisdom. If any man lacks wisdom, when you're going through this, what is going on? I don't get it. I'll show you. I'll even give you a peek inside. But when I do, you have to stay committed. You can't be like a man that doubts, who's tossed uh, like a wave in the sea to and fro. You've got to say, okay, God, I get that hardship trial is a part of even a Christian's life, and I'm okay with that. And I'm going to stay with you through all of it. And even as you're revealing to me, hey, Jesus ain't going to take that and change that real fast. He might not even ever take a certain trial or temp- a trial from your life. He might not heal you of that disease. Amen? He might not just take diabetes away or take cancer away or cause you to... He might not heal all that. I'm okay with that. I realize that even in these trials that God can do something in my life that strengthens my character, my faith, and and makes me a, a, a more refined, golden person. And I'm committed to Him no matter what. What he says is so beautiful. And we, what I was trying to get into until I just totally flipped out last Sunday was that he even touches on what was a very present trial for them. And it's still a trial for us. It's a socioeconomic trial of the rich and the poor. All of us are acquainted with this. He says, listen, those who are poor, that's a trial for you. I get that. But understand that there's something far bigger than your economic status. And take joy that even in the trial of not being certain about where next week's meal's coming from or how I'm going to make this end meet, that in that God is doing a work of faith and dependence on him and he promises to always meet your needs and the trials of the poor can be turned on their head to make strong, vibrant Christians. And then he turns it around and says, rich. And I believe in this context it's rich Christians. I don't think he just threw in a rich thing. Rich people wouldn't have been reading this letter. Christians are reading this letter. There is such a thing as rich Christians, right? Some of you better say amen, because you're rich. You know, relatively, we're all probably rich. We're all two percenters, right? In the scope of this world, we talk about the one percent here. Well, guess what? We're all two percenters if you look down at all over seven billion people. We're in the top two percent. He says, rich Christians, you, this is a trial for you also. And you need to live through the trial of being rich. You're like, what? It's a trial. Read the New Testament, man. Jesus has a strong word of warning to rich people. In fact, he says you should never desire to be rich. If God blesses you with wealth, great, but that shouldn't be the goal. Paul says it this way, those who desire to become rich ensnare themselves and cause great injuries on their life. I've looked at people that I pastored who have looked in my eyes and said, listen, I have for years attempted to accumulate wealth. And it does not satisfy. And it's actually caused 
hardship in my life. It's injured me. And that's why Paul says the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Right? But God does give wealth and riches. And the trial of this is that it can be so easy for those who are wealthy to begin to find security in what they have. Amen? You just, it's natural. I can show you all sorts of studies that your dependence, your faith level will decrease. Unless, well, Jesus said this, only with God is it possible to be a rich Christian. Only with God's supernatural help in your life. Because you will naturally lose a sense of dependence on him. And you'll find your security in the fact that I know where next week's meal's coming from. I know where my mortgage payment is going to come from. I know where my retirement is. Right? He says that's a trial for you. You need to live through that trial and not succumb. And your faith needs to be real and active and living even in wealth. To show that your dependence, both the rich and the poor, every day is squarely in the creator of the universe. The one who is the giver of all that we have. And I recognize today, well he continues to say this, right? He says, listen, Wealth is temporary. It's passing. It's like, you know, guys, the flower that are on the hillsides. He's, he's using Jerusalem and Israel. He said they're beautiful in the springtime. They bloom up. But by the early summer, the heat and the desert wind hits those flowers. And the field that you looked at in March, and it was beautiful, by May, it's gone. There are no colors anywhere. They've been burned up. It's passing. It's temporary. He said that's the way riches are. So you should never trust in them. Some of you are saying, amen, I remember 2009. Right? Just like that, some of you lost 10, 20, $30,000. And don't fool yourself. You can lose all that you have tomorrow. Those are things that are out of your control. Governments can be overthrown. Systems can be turned on its head some of you are like yeah that's why i got a bunker and cash buried all over my yard guess what ain't gonna matter and it we're coming to some of that we're gonna face that probably in my lifetime the cyclical nature of so many things our trust our dependence has got to be on the sustaining provider every day and it's a trial rich and poor okay he says this are you with me that's the trial of the have or the have nots and you probably see yourself in one of those you know it's amazing how we see ourselves he says this blessed is the one who perseveres under these trials because having stood the test Is faith living active? Does hardship cause me to quit, be bitter, all these things? Or does it strengthen, develop my walk with Jesus, having stood the test? 
that person will receive the crown of life. This crown is not, hey, your daddy's the king, so you get the crown just because you won the biological lottery. That's not this word. That's not King of England crown here. Okay? Lucky you. Your dad was the king, so you get to be the king. This is the crown of life. This is the crown that was the word they used for the the Olympic Games then. Someone who won the race. A crown was placed on their head. You achieved the goal. You finished the race. And you received the crown. You who have stood the test of trials. Your faith has persevered. You receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And then he does this. And if you know me, I love commercials. All right? In another life, one of my dreams would be to be a commercial writer. Can you imagine how fun that would be? Show up every week. How stupid and zany and funny things can we create? Like, to make people laugh. That would be the funnest thing in the world. And I get paid to do that. That would be fun. I was caught by this Geico commercial this week. Have you seen this yet? I'm not a Geico salesman, okay? I, I don't even have Geico for insurance. But I thought that was so funny. I was watching, I was thinking about the trial of being caught in a bunker with a guy that brought a karaoke machine in the Antarctic, right? And one guy said, I don't even care if I die. I'm getting out of here. I'll freeze to death instead of having to listen to this. The, the nature of trials is very subjective, is it not? And I recognize that we go through much more severe trials, even today. We might not face the persecution they did, but the trials of living in this rat race of life here. And to be godly, to be a Christ follower, there are trials and hardships and temptations that abound. And that's why James continues in this way. Listen to this. It's brilliant. When tempted, no one should say God is tempting you. Hey guys, trials are for your benefit. If you can persevere, you get the crown of life. It shows that your faith was real. It's, it's, it's working. But he flips it. I call this the flip side. The flip side of hardship and trial. One, there's the opportunity to become golden. That gold to be refined. The opportunity to grow and develop and to experience the life that God has for you. Or the flip side is this. Going through hardship, I might be tempted to say this. God is tempting me. And James says, listen, I need to remind you of this truth. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Temptation is not a God thing. Can we grab a hold of that today? God is not tempting you today. He never has tempted you. He never will tempt you. Some of you are like, duh. I will tell you, I have spent a lot of time with people, and it's amazing our concept of God sometimes 
that we've, we start to have this mindset that maybe God is, God's doing this to, to tempt me. No. He says, nor does he tempt anyone. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And after this desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, it gives birth to death. This is the flip side. James, for James, every test carries with it. Every trial, every hardship carries with it the possibility of a flip side. Of a believer failing that test and turning it into temptation. Every trial carries with it a temptation, an inner enticement. And this is the enticement. To begin to, uh, to have this wrong attitude, mindset thinking that God is doing this. He's tempting me. I'm blaming God for what is happening to me. Uh, you know, my favorite illustration in, with temptation is this. I love this little story. I've never forgot this. Um... <laughs> I read about this guy who, uh, who was trying to lose weight, okay? He worked in this office, and um, co-workers talk, right? Kind of share your life. You know how that is. You spend 40 hours a week together. and They knew he was trying to lose weight, too. He had talked about it. And, and he shows up one morning, and he's got two boxes of Krispy Kreme donuts. And so naturally, they're friends, co-workers. One of them went... Uh, uh, I thought you were trying to lose weight. He said, you know, amazing story. This morning I got up, I wanted a donut so bad. Like, I just am tired of not, you know. He said, I was driving to work and I started to pray. I said, God, if you want me to have a donut today, there'll be an empty parking spot right in front of the donut shop. And I'll know I can have a donut today. And he said, wouldn't you know it, the eighth time around the block, there was an empty parking spot. Right? That's how we are. And what he says is, I want to explain to you, I want to remind you, that the temptation for us that we experience, that easily can happen through trial and hardship, it's always going to be an opportunity. To be tempted to think a certain way. Or be tempted to act out because of the hardship and the trial you're going through. So I want to remind you, God is not tempting you. God does not do that. What is at work is that obviously Satan, the tempter, right? From the very beginning of the, the story, he's in the garden tempted. Couple that with what he says is evil desire. He uses those words evil desire, doesn't he? Nod your head, please. All right, got it. I'm worried you're sleeping. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire. He says, I want to remind you that because of the fall of man, we deal with the fallen nature. Desire is not bad. Desire is God-given. But desire has now been tainted by our fallen nature. 
And those God-given desires instilled in each human being have been corrupted by the sinful, bent, fallen nature we were born with. And this is what is in the mix in this idea of being tempted. That what we deal with is our fallen nature, our fallen fallen nature that causes us to have desires that become corrupted. Think about it. As soon as I say temptation, as soon as I you know, talk about um, desire, I'm sure because of our culture and the saturation of our culture with sex, the first thing that comes to your mind is lust or sex, probably for most of you. Here is this God-given desire, right? This beautiful gift from God for intimacy, connection. It actually becomes a sacred act between a husband and a wife where they are bound together far more than just a physical act, but it's a union of, it's your lives, why every sin that's outside of the body except for sexual sin because it carries with it this weight of sharing your very person with someone amen god gave us that it's the gift and yet the fall of man has corrupted this desire has it not we've misused it right And we've tried to find satisfaction in using it in a way that it was outside the design of God. And it has absolutely obliterated this world in so many ways. The misuse of sex has been one of the biggest uh, uh, pictures of the fallen nature of man. This God gave, intended for great pleasure and fulfillment has been corrupted and tainted. It's been so much so that the church, for hundreds of years, overreacted to it. It's been such an issue in every culture, in every generation, in every time, that the culture was like, the church was like, whoa, this has gotten so bad. And they started to give off this idea that that's bad. Don't talk about that. Don't think of it. You know, we overreacted, Right? And now we've got generations of kids that they've heard their grandparents or their parents have a negative view about sex. It never should have been. It's a a positive thing. It's a God-given. But we overreacted because of its misuse, how it was corrupted so badly. That's what the fallen nature has done. Think about, maybe for some of you, it's like when you talk about temptation, the first thing that comes to my mind is food. This God-given desire, not just to sustain your body, but also for pleasure. Is it not? Amen? I don't think most of you are just eating to survive. You're not eating to live. A lot of us are living to eat. Like, whoo, steak hits my taste buds. Woo! But what has happened? We have taken this God-given desire and need for nourishment and even pleasure from food. And we've corrupted it. Right? We've overindulged in it. 
We've used it to fill emotional needs in our lives. Come on now. I've heard people talk about this. I've heard you guys, I, I don't know what you're talking about. But what are we talking about? I feel bad, so I go to the, you know, ice cream. All these things. We've taken what's good, and we can corrupt it. God wants you to enjoy food. All of the different flavors and everything, that was for your enjoyment. Amen? But we can turn it and corrupt it, correct? Sex, food, money. God wants us to earn money, to make a living, to enjoy the bountiful earth that God has given to us. Amen? And yet it becomes a pursuit and we get caught in what we can attain. And we live resting on the satisfaction of our possessions. And then we're empty and void. All of these things, God given, and yet they become distorted by our fallen nature. And he says, each person is tempted away when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. It's the flip side. And what happens is, desire plus opportunity brings about temptation. It's not wrong to be tempted, right? Jesus was tempted. Adam and Eve in the garden, original design, original creation, without a fallen nature, yet we're tempted. Amen? If you're tempted, it's simply because you have a desire and you have an opportunity to fulfill that desire. But it's in a way that is distorted. And when you give action to that desire, take advantage of that opportunity, you walk into sin. Remember Jesus modeled exactly in the wilderness? Hey, turn these stones into bread. Was it wrong for Jesus to eat? No. Was he going to need to eat to survive? Yes. But Satan was tempting him to do something. And it was to meet legitimate needs in an improper way. To have done that was to not depend on the Father in the wilderness. That in the right time and right moment, he would feed him. It was to misuse and to meet, meet a legitimate need in an improper way. Remember, he takes him to the top of the temple. He says, jump down. Show your power to everybody. All the religious leaders and everybody will know, like, wow, did you see him jump from that cliff? And he survived. He must be the Messiah. He's trying to manipulate him to do something that wasn't in God's timing. And instead of Jesus cooperating with God's timing, the cross, he wanted him to go early. And we're tempted so often to manipulate things instead of cooperate with the plan, the timing of God. The third thing was, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Satan said, they're mine, I'll give them to you. Well, guess what? Jesus knew they all are going to be his in the right time. And he was tempted to pursue the right thing in the wrong way. And this is what he says. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. 
every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Who does not change like shifting shadows. God is not tempting you. In the middle of this hardship, this trial, you, can, you do not for a moment have to doubt or question the goodness of God. In fact, he is constant goodness. It's goodness that there is no shadow of turning. It doesn't even for a minute change. He's always good. The, every good and perfect gift. And then he uses creation, the father of lights, the stars, Look around you, this God who created and said, this is good. This reminds you of a good God who gives and makes a good planet. And he says, listen, you can trust in this God. Keep your mind and heart fixed that every good and perfect gift comes from God. The constant goodness of God. And as I walk through hardship, my faith is living it will act it will be proven out it will be tested to be real if i instead of falling into blaming god and then trying to fulfill what i feel like i need in my own way because i'm going through this hardship i instead continue to be committed to god and allow this hardship and trial to develop my character and i stay with him through it all always reminded that he is good and he has my best at heart and he is going to do all things what is it Romans says he's going to work together all things for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus and he finishes this way he chose to give us birth through the word of truth the gospel that we might be a kind of all the first fruits of all he created he says you want to know about that goodness that constant goodness you are exhibit A. You are the exhibit A of the goodness of God. He has taken broken, fallen, sin-filled people and has set them free by the word of truth, has given them new life, and you now have become actually a first fruit of what he is going to do with this entire world, this broken world. He is going to renew and restore it and there will ultimately come a new heaven and a new earth. I'm so excited I'm spitting. Right? And what he is doing in you, renewing you, is the first fruit of all of that. You know how, God good, how good God is? Look at what he's done in your own life. How he's breaking you free. How he's offered you forgiveness and mercy and grace. How he's given you the opportunity to experience new life. So in the middle of your hardship, in the middle of your trial, don't go anywhere. Continue to trust him. Continue to believe in him. Continue to know that he is going to take that and make that for your good. Please, somebody say amen today. I want you to get this so bad. Turn it upside down. Don't be bitter. Don't be jaded. Don't be cynical. Don't be doubting. Don't just become numb and start to think, well, life just stinks. You don't get what you want. You kind of just have to settle. Remember that direct TV commercial, Settlers? We're just settlers. No, you're not. 
Even in adverse circumstances, God is working in you an unbelievable work that is refining your character and your life. Just like gold going through fire, it becomes more pure, more valuable. Remember the constant goodness of my Father. Don't be tempted to look elsewhere, to take a shortcut, to doubt. So this morning, I invite you to stand. I want us just to end this way. I've put together a prayer that I want us to pray together. You're going to pray with your eyes open right now. That's okay. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to take the words of this prayer and to sink it deep within your heart, to remind you of it or the truth that's in it this week? Would you pray this with me today? Father God, I do not deserve your mercy or grace, but I thank you that I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and in Jesus' name am able to approach your throne for the grace and strength I need to keep me from falling so that I may walk in your ways in glory of Jesus Christ Jesus. Oh God, the troubles are many. The trials are great. The temptations are strong. But I remember there is no temptation that comes to man that is unique or has never come to another. Father, I believe that no temptation comes to any of us that has not come unto all men and that by your grace you always provide an escape from temptation. Help me not to be tempted and give me the eyes to see and grasp hold of the escapes from temptation that you and your grace offer me. Lord, you know the area of my vulnerabilities, and you know when and how I will be tempted today and in the days that lie ahead. And Lord, although I know that I must make the choice not to succumb to temptation, I do ask that you would prompt me to flee temptation to walk in the light of the glorious gospel of truth. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Father, you desire for faith to act, faith to live. It's not something we just say on a Sunday and it's just a set of beliefs. No, it becomes who we are. So Lord, especially in this matter of temptation, hardship, trial, and then the temptation that could come out of that. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on a good and perfect gift giver, our gracious Heavenly Father, always. Knowing that the work He started in us reminds us that He is good and glorious and that the work that He has started in us, He will be faithful to complete. In fact, so much so that this world that's broken is going to be new. But we pray these things, asking that you would keep our minds fixed on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. Happy Father's Day to all you dads.